Well, welcome back, everybody. We are continuing in our series that we are calling Letters for Exiles, in which we're looking at the letters of First and Second Peter. And the reason we're looking at these letters is because these letters actually provide us with ancient wisdom for our modern times. And last week, we started to look at, at Peter's second letter, and we noted that there was kind of this change in tone. Peter's first letter was all about how we as the church and people of faith are to interact with our surrounding world. But as you get into 2 Peter, it moves to a much more introspective tone. One in which Peter is saying, so how do we become the kinds of people who represent Jesus well? And specifically last week, the question was, how do we grow spiritually? And Peter's answer is, you grow spiritually by having a relationship with Jesus. That was his answer. But that leaves us with another question, and that is, well, how do we get to know who Jesus is? And that's exactly what we're going to be tackling today as we dive into uh, another section in 2 Peter. But I think it's only right that before we do, we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together in this place that we might encounter you, that we might get to know you more deeply. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would remove any barriers from our hearts or our minds that get, would get in the way of us hearing the message that you have for us this weekend. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said, Peter's kind of moving into new territory. He's, he's addressing the question, how is it that we actually get to know Jesus? If we grow spiritually by having a relationship with him, the, the obvious question then becomes, so how do I get to know him? And that's a fair question. Because honestly, it's a little bit confusing if you look at the world around you to try and get a good answer for where would I turn if I were to get to know Jesus better. I mean, after all, I feel like it's every Christmas and Easter that the newspapers and magazines and news shows roll out some other lost gospel of Jesus, right? They say, here's a lost gospel that the church has tried to suppress, and, and this really gives us an accurate picture of who Jesus really is. But Every serious scholar, not just Christian scholars, has over and over again looked at those so-called lost gospels and said that they, they actually don't paint a very accurate historical picture of who Jesus is. Over and over, they, they affirm that many of these lost gospels were written centuries after Jesus' life and that they reflect more the inclinations and the leanings of the communities that produced them than actually providing us with a reliable eyewitness account of Jesus' life. So we can't really turn to those. But it's also complicated by the fact that there are many people out there who have their own kind of preferred picture of Jesus, right? Depending on who you talk to, you're going to be introduced to a, to a different kind of Jesus, one who honestly reflects more of our own boxes and our own agendas. Several years ago, I read a wonderful book called Re-Jesus by uh, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, and they highlighted the fact that there are countless versions of Jesus out there 
depending on who you talk to. They say, you know, there's the conservative American Jesus who seems to affirm family values and individual rights, or there's the liberal, peace-loving, hippie Jesus who just wants us all to get along, or there's the Marxist, radical Jesus who's out to overthrow the man and upend the systems. And Then there's the personal guru Jesus who's there to offer you good kind of spiritual nuggets that you can build your life upon. Or there's the Jesus meek and mild who's snuggling lambs and kissing babies or spooky otherworldly Jesus with his heart like popping out of his chest like it's some sort of horror film. But what they highlight is they say, look, all of these are distortions and caricatures. None of them actually introduces us to Jesus and in all of his depth and beauty and complexity. And so again, the question remains, where where do we turn? How, How can we actually get to know Jesus for who he really is? And again, that's why I'm so glad that we have 2 Peter chapter 1, because Peter actually tells us. This is what he says in verse 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, what Peter says is he says, if you really want to get to know Jesus, you have to go back to the eyewitnesses, to the people who actually knew him. And what Peter says is he says, That's us. That's me. That's the other apostles. That's the people who lived with him and walked with him, who heard him preach, who watched him heal. In fact, this is so important because this is actually what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. It's based on a relationship with a historical person and the events of his life. Over and over again, the New Testament writers were insistent that what they were passing on wasn't just some other kind of philosophy. They weren't passing on some kind of nice story that you could maybe apply to your life. They were talking about someone that they knew, someone that they had encountered in time and space and history and saying, you need to know him. That's what's most important. And and as I said, this is something that's really unique about Christianity. In fact, Patrick Smith, professor of philosophy at Duke Divinity School, put it this way. He said that when you look at other religious traditions or philosophies, you can remove the founders and still leave the tradition largely intact. But when you remove Christ from Christianity, you really don't have the tradition anymore. Everything hinges on the very person of Jesus Christ. See, what Professor Smith is highlighting is he's saying, look, you can have Buddhism without a historical Buddha. You can take his philosophies and apply them to your life to deal with things like suffering and changes. And he's like, and and roughly, you, you don't really need to know if there was a historical Buddha. It's the teachings that matter. Likewise, you take Islam. Even if you kind of remove Muhammad from the picture, you still have the ethical and moral imperatives of that tradition, which you can build your life upon. But when it comes to Christianity, what it insists is that Jesus wasn't here just to give us another philosophy or program. He was here to invite us into an encounter, into a relationship with the God of the universe who is only known through him through who he was and is, through what he said and did. That's really what's at the heart of the Christian faith. And so we have to actually get to know the people who knew him best. And this is why the gospel accounts that we find in the New Testament are so important. 
because they are based on those eyewitness accounts. Every single one of them was written within the lifetime of people who actually knew Jesus and walked with him and talked with him and watched him do what he did. Matthew and John, we know, were actually disciples who are part of that inner circle of 12. They listened to Jesus as he preached. They watched Jesus as he healed. They walked on the road with Jesus as he went from place to place. Likewise, Mark's gospel, the earliest gospel that we have, probably written within 30 years of Jesus' death, is based on the eyewitness accounts of Peter, the author of the letters that we're studying. They were written by Mark, who was one of Peter's students. And he listened to Peter's stories and personal recollections and compiled his narrative. Likewise, Luke actually says at the beginning of his gospel account that he himself had investigated all of these things about Jesus, going to the places, talking with the people, encountering the eyewitnesses, and it's from their testimony that he built his narrative and his biography. The gospels are the earliest sources that we have that are based on these eyewitness accounts. In fact, it's so overwhelming that, the, that these are the places that we should go that even one of the biggest scholarly opponents of Christianity, a guy by the name of Bart Ehrman, has said this. He says, the New Testament Gospels are the oldest and best sources we have for knowing about the life of Jesus. This is the view of all serious historians of antiquity of every kind, from committed evangelical Christians to hardcore atheists. You want to know Jesus? you got to pick up the Gospels. You want to know Jesus, you actually have to go back to those eyewitness accounts. And what you will find as you study all of the Gospels is that they all have one central claim. And that one central claim is that what vindicates all that Jesus said and did was his bodily resurrection from the dead. Every single one of them, all four, climax at that moment where after Jesus' uh, execution and death, he rose again from the dead. And that's why we believe everything that he said about himself is because he was vindicated in that moment. The gospel writers and all the other New Testament authors say this is the reason we follow him is because everything that he did was proven to be true the moment he walked out of that grave three days later. It was his physical resurrection from the dead is what we pin all of our hopes and our preaching and our teaching upon. In fact, it was another New Testament writer, the Apostle Paul, who said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If you want to get to know Jesus, you need to read the Gospels. If you want to understand why you should believe in him, you need to look at the accounts of the resurrection. These claims that he not only lived in a certain place and time and did certain things, but ultimately he died and rose again from the dead. And this claim of the resurrection is so overpowering, you simply can't get around it. 
I remember it was about three years ago, I, I saw an interview with a noted Christian intellectual and thinker, Jordan Peterson, a man who prided his, himself on being an atheist, who actually admitted openly that he hated when people asked him the question if he believed in God, that it made him very uncomfortable. And yet in this particular interview about three years ago, he said this about the resurrection. He said, this may be the most important topic that I have ever considered. The sticking point between the atheist community and the Christian community isn't the existence of God. It is a sticking point, and it's not trivial, but I think the true sticking point is the idea of the bodily resurrection of Christ because it is, it is key to Christianity, and it flies in the face of the standard materialist objective view of the world. And so it is something that I wrestle with continuously because there is so much in the New Testament that is profound beyond comprehension that it is almost hard to conceive of how they could have come about from the standard scientific materialist perspective. But the claim is so overwhelming that I don't know what to make of the idea of the physical resurrection. In fact, he's continued to wrestle with that so much so over the years that more recently he's finally come to the conclusion that he can no longer deny the existence of God. And that actually his, his issue now isn't a relationship with God or even a relationship with Jesus. His issue is a relationship with the church. <laughs> The relationship with the people who claim to follow Jesus, but whose lives don't look anything like his life. But his issue now is not the eyewitness accounts. His issue now isn't the resurrection. It's us. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is do we believe the resurrection? Do we follow the Jesus who's painted in such bold colors by the eyewitness accounts that we find in the Gospels? And, and what's so beautiful is Peter says this, you have to get this because this is what the rest of the Bible is about. This is what it was all pointing toward. Verses 19 through 21, he says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, what he says is he says the whole Bible was, was pointing to this moment. To this moment when God himself would enter into history to encounter us and to invite us into a deeper relationship. But that's the reason we hold the Bible as, as being so important because although it was written down through centuries by countless authors, it ultimately tells one story that reaches its climax in these eyewitness encounters between the God of the universe who came down and became one of us. That's the very foundation of our faith. That's how we get to know who Jesus is. And he says, and when you study that, it changes everything about your life and, and how you understand yourself and your place in the world. It's what Jordan Peterson himself was wrestling with. And honestly, it's something that has been such a foundational part of my own story. You know, as a young person, I, I didn't grow up really believing in Jesus. We started going to church when I was a freshman in high school, but even then I really wasn't sure where I was at in my relationship with God. And so I started to look at the different philosophies and world religions to try and sort out who, if there is a God, and if so, what is he like? What does it mean to have a relationship with him? And I remember somebody finally saying, you know, if you really want to give this an honest look, you have to read the Bible. You have to go back to God's word because it's there that you're going to encounter him. That's where he reveals himself to us. And ultimately, you're going to see him 
in the face of Jesus. And so I started to read, and honestly, the Bible surprised me. Because all through the Old Testament, it wasn't a story of, of a bunch of heroes who were already perfect, nor was it simply a list of rules and, and principles for life. It was this story of really, really messed up people who were outcasts and failures and losers, and, and the story of the God who loved them anyway and called them to follow him. And then I get to the New Testament, and once again, there's all these screw-ups and losers and outcasts, but there was this one person who wasn't, who was perfect in every way and yet still hung out with the losers and the outcasts and the screw-ups and loved them and, and called them to follow him. And that was Jesus. And I remember having this moment as I got toward the end of the gospel of John. And as I've looked at these eyewitness accounts of Jesus, that I finally just had to fall down on my knees and say, he truly is the Lord. That's who God is. The evidence is overwhelming. The eyewitness testimony is strong and certain. And it's in Christ that we finally come to know who God is in the flesh. And so we go back to his word. We read those eyewitness accounts. We see Jesus for who he is. That's where we can go if we want to know him better. And it does change absolutely everything. I love how James Martin in the column post for the Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago put this. He says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can go on living your life while perhaps admiring Jesus the man appreciating his example, and even putting into practice some of his teachings. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, however, everything changes. In that case, you cannot set aside any of his teachings. Because a person who rises from the grave, who demonstrates his power over death, and who has definitively proven his divine authority needs to be listened to, what that person says demands a response. And that's the calling and the invitation. That's the reason Peter is writing. He says, I want you to see him for who he is and to follow him with everything that you have. Because when you do, you'll realize that this story, which climaxes in Jesus, that finds its purpose and its telos in him, is a story that's for you as well. I love how another pastor, Bobby Pruitt, put it. As he wrestled with what's so unique about Christianity, he says this, he says, Christianity begins where every religion in the world hopes to end. Day one, moment one of having a relationship with Jesus, I am given what every other religion is fighting and striving and working and trying and hoping and praying for, and I'm given that as a gift. And that promise, what Jesus is saying is that if you know him, you're going to be with him. If you know him, you never have to worry about going to hell. If you know him, you are eternally secure. Day one, moment one of knowing Jesus, you, we are given all of that. The reason Peter writes, the reason the New Testament exists, the reason that we have the Bible in its entirety is so that we might not be groping around in the dark, but have a light, a light which anybody can have access to, which anybody can see, which anybody can ultimately enter into a relationship with. It's Jesus. The God who doesn't hide himself in mystery and leave it up for us to figure it out, but the God who invites us to come to know him as he is and revealed his very person by becoming one of us. You want to grow spiritually? It's only in a relationship with Jesus. How do you grow and get to know him? By going back to the eyewitness accounts each and every day, studying them, beholding him for who he is and allowing that relationship to shape everything because when you do, you realize that he's for you. 
and that all that you've been looking for has finally been given to you in him. And it's to that end, I'd like to close in a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you for who you are. That we wouldn't just settle for some caricature of Jesus, but Lord Jesus, that we would behold you afresh by going back to your word and allowing that to guide and to shape us. Help us see you as you are so that we become the kind of people who actually reflect you to the world around us. And Lord, in those moments of doubt, we pray that we would go back to those eyewitness testimonies, the the words of those who knew you, who walked with you, and to realize that you truly are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Just as they walked in your footsteps, so we can do likewise. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.